0: Thank you for downloading this podcast of Andy's Movie Mashup from GFM 107.1. For rights reasons, the music has been removed, so it's just me talking. Enjoy. Well, that's actually quite long. I don't think I've ever heard the whole recording of that. That was George Thorogood and the Destroyers with Bad to the Bone. That's on many soundtracks. In this case, it's from Lethal Weapon, which is one of my TV movie picks of the week. Welcome to another movie mashup on GFM 107.1. On today's show, going to be talking about... Uh, they're all DVDs and Blu-rays this week. going to be talking about uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. That's the latest from Yorgos Lanthimos, who made The Lobster, that I talked about on this show. we uh, going to be talking about Darkest Hour, which won Gary Oldman Best Actor Academy Award this year, and uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire which is uh, Dan Gilroy's follow-up to Nightcrawler, which I liked very much. Well, I like this, this stars um, Denzel Washington, among others. Um, also, the usual features: going to be looking at um, movies that are on TV this weekend, what's on at local venues, some DVD picks. There's a new Good Robot Andy's podcast, which um, is all about one of the movies I'll be talking about this week, actually, but more about that later. There's also... Um, we need, we need your help for the next Good Robot and His podcast, but again, I'll get into that later. I'm going to play some more music now. This is, uh, Alphaville, who I think are probably best known for a, um, a track called Big in Japan. This is a track called Forever Young, and this is from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was, um, Keira Knightley and Haley Stanfield and, um. Some uh, rather good backup musicians, and that was called Tell Me If You Want to Go Home. That's from Begin Again, which is uh, another one of John Carney's um, musical, musical-type musical movies. That was a follow-up to, uh, I'm going to struggle with this now, but Once, I think. Um, and his most recent um, film in that kind of genre was Sing Street, which I loved, uh, my wife loved too. Okay, so um, first movie this week... Actually, before that was uh, Alphaville with Forever Young, which I rather enjoyed. That was from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And uh, both of those movies are uh, TV movie picks of the week this week. Okay, so first movie this week is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's a 2017 psychological supernatural horror film directed by Yorgos Lanthimos from a screenplay by Lanthimos and Effie... I'm going to take a run at this now. Effie Themis Philippou. There you go. It stars Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, Barry Keegan, Raffi Cassidy, Sonny Sulich, Alicia Silverstone and Bill Camp. And the story is based on the ancient Greek play Iphagina at Aulis by Euripides. And the film follows a cardiac surgeon, played by Colin Farrell, who secretly befriends a teenage boy, played by Barry Keegan, with a connection to his past, and he introduces the boy to his family, who begin to fall mysteriously ill. So this is loosely based on a Greek tragedy. Is there any other kind? Um, And came out the end of last year, uh, yeah, November last year in the United Kingdom. Um, Had a box office of 4.7 million, which isn't very much, but not actually that much of a surprise as a film for this type. so this is the second time that um that i'm aware that uh, colin farrell has collaborated with yorgos lanthimos the first time that um i saw them work together was in the lobster which i liked a great deal um talked about on this show and is the subject of a good robot andy's podcast uh, where we um talk about it in more detail um This is a different proposition altogether. The lobster was a, I think, a social satire on the, you know, how unfair it is that um, you know people have to be couples. um, How fair it is on people who want to stay single. Um, It was a very, very pointed satire on those things. This, on the other hand, is more of a straightforward, I would say, uh, drama slash horror movie. It says supernatural horror film. Uh, it's it's more of a straightforward piece of work than a satire, but that doesn't mean it's got um, hasn't got stuff up its sleeve because it most definitely has. So um, uh, Colin Farrell plays a character called Stephen Murphy, who is a cardiothoracic thoracic surgeon. Um, he's very successful. Uh, his interestingly, Farrell's line readings in this movie are almost robotic in the way that he he does things, which is actually when you get used to the rhythm of it, it's very interesting because he manages to convey emotion and, you know, what he wants out of life without actually seeming to, to express any emotion, which is an interesting proposition. Um, um, we see him, uh, one of the first scenes we see him in is where he meets up with Barry Keegan's character, um, who's called Martin, and they appear to have a, uh, a long-standing or at least a relationship that predates the events of this film uh, where they just talk about sort of mundane things. It's not entirely clear what their relationship is, but it becomes clearer as the movie goes on when um, when uh, Colin Farrell's character introduces Martin to his family and um, it's at that point that things start to go off the rails. And his children, he has two children, a boy and a girl, um, or a teenage girl and a sort of prepubescent boy. They become ill. Uh, neither of them can walk. They they lose lose the use of their legs. Uh, the boy is most badly affected by this. Uh, and it's at this point that uh, the young lad Martin tells Colin Farrell that he's done this. Martin has done this, and that. Uh, Colin Farrell's character needs to make a decision about which one of them is going to die. That is the essentially the plot of this. Uh, this of course sends the whole family unit into a tailspin uh, as they desperately try and figure out try to figure out what's going on if there's any way that they can avoid it. Um, I think it's there that I need to sort of um, leave talking about the plot because I'm heading into spoiler territory. Uh, what I will say is is that this movie is very intense. Uh, You could say it's a bit of an ordeal, uh, but that's not a bad thing. It is very rewarding. It's um, visually very interesting. The performances are, you know, fantastic. So uh, Colin Farrell is great, uh, as is Nicole Kidman, who plays the mother of the children and his wife. Uh, She is terrific in this as well. Uh, The supporting cast, his children, uh, Barry Keegan, who I previously saw, I realised, in um, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk last year. Uh, where he plays one of the young lads on the boat that Mark Rylance is captain of. Um, uh, This is, I think, uh, one of the, uh, you know, you could say that this is a a terrific horror movie. It grabs hold of you and doesn't let go until the end. And even after the film has finished, uh, I I remember still feeling very tense and, uh, you know, sort of tightly wound about it because of the events that happen therein and the way that they're depicted. Uh, no doubt that Yorgos Lanthimos is a huge talent. He can turn his hand to social satire on one hand, and what is, to all intents and purposes, is a pretty straightforward supernatural horror movie on the other side. And in both cases, he makes an incredible job of it. So uh, I am recommending this very highly. Uh, it's not an easy watch, but if you want to be challenged... It's definitely worth it. Uh, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it has an approval rating of 80%. With the uh, consensus reading, uh, this continues director Yorgos Lanthimos' stubbornly idiosyncratic streak and demonstrates again that he has a talent not to be ignored. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it's hard to ignore him when he makes stuff this good. Uh, and it's rated 15 <laughs> Uh, that was Ellie Goulding with uh, How Long Will I Love You? That's from the soundtrack to The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And before that, we heard Joe Smith and the Spicy Pickles with uh, The Gherkin Train, which I rather enjoyed. Nice bit of jazz. Uh, so, uh, what's the next movie? Oh, yes. Okay, so next movie this week. Oh, but by the way, I received some spam from my wife for playing uh, Ellie Goulding, which is kind of justified. Uh, okay, so next movie is uh, Darkest Hour, It's a 2017 war drama film directed by Joe Wright and written by Anthony McCartan. It stars Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill and is an account of his early days as Prime Minister as Nazi Germany's Wehrmacht swept across Western Europe, threatening to defeat the United Kingdom during World War II. The German advance leads to friction at the highest levels of government between those who would make a peace treaty with Hitler And Churchill, who refused. The film also stars Kristen Scott Thomas, Lily James, Ben Mendelssohn, Stephen Delane, and Ronald Pickup. So, this came out uh, early this year, so January 2018. Had a budget of 30 million, took 149.4, which is uh, rather nice. Um, I think probably best known for the fact that Gary Oldman won um best actor at the Academy Awards in March, April, yeah, something like that. Um you know, a thing that he was earmarked to do since this film was released. It's like, okay, well Alban's got it. And his um his performance is very good. But anyway, let's talk about let's talk about the movie. So this is about the early the early days of Churchill's um Churchill as Prime Minister. So in May 1940 the opposition Labour Party demands the resignation of British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain for being too weak in the face of the Nazi onslaught Um, Chamberlain tells the Conservative Party that he wants Lord Halifax as his successor but Halifax does not feel the time is right and Chamberlain is forced to choose the only man whom the opposition parties would accept who is Churchill, the first Lord of the Admiralty Um, so that is the, the thing that kicks it off this is you know this is and history, history on film basically you know you may know this story already uh churchill has a poor reputation because of his record in the admiralty the gallipoli campaign in the first world war being an example of something that was messed up massively um his views on india and his support for edward the VII, 7th no 8th during the abdication crisis So Parliament reacts very coolly to Churchill's appointment. Uh, They're very cool on his first speech in Parliament. And I think because of that, there are elements within the the Conservative Party that want to do a deal with uh, Mussolini. Mussolini is offering to uh, negotiate terms, uh, peace terms, with Hitler on behalf of Britain. There are elements within the Conservative Party that want to do that. Churchill isn't interested in that. At all, and has to kind of fight that battle to get what he wants. Uh, and the other thing that's happening at this time is the evacuation of Dunkirk, which of course we saw last year in Christopher Nolan's movie Dunkirk, and it's been a, it's been done on film before. Um, that's happening as well, which is also very unpopular because uh, he essentially asks an entire battalion of men to lay down their lives to. Um, draw the German fire away from Dunkirk. So that's seen as being pretty unpopular as well. However, um, the tide starts to turn, public opinion starts to turn. And uh, what we have here is a series of what I shall now call chubby-hum moments. Uh, I'm not going to go into what that means. You can look it up on the internet. What is chubby-hum? So we see a series of things that happened during Churchill's, the early part of Churchill's, um, time as prime minister for the first time as prime minister um, uh things like the writing of the we shall fight them on the beaches speech um and uh there's also a um there's an event that didn't happen in which he rides on tube train and he meets some some regular people and gauges their kind of feeling about what's going on and whether they want. To make peace, or whether they want to go to war. That didn't actually happen. It's used here for dramatic effect, um, and I think that is my that is my big problem with this film. So, Alban's performance is very good. In fact, most of the performances are good. Uh, I'd say that there is there's some slight miscasting going on here, though, and one of those bits of miscasting is, um. Is the king of England, who. Is uh, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Now, Ben Mendelsohn's a very fine actor, given the fact that he usually plays villains. In this place, he doesn't. And he seems a little bit unsure of himself here. Um, and that might be because he's not really sure how to play this role. Uh, I didn't think that he played it all that well. Um, and that's a bit of a problem. Um, however, Oldman is good. I think that he plays the role well. Uh, he, he's wearing... You know, prosthetic suit and uh, you know thing to uh, prosthetic to make him look more jowly. He is good, but so was John Lithgow in The Crown. Uh, in fact, I, I say that John Lithgow in The Crown, he's possibly a better performance than this. Uh, th- there are moments when Oldman's um, his his uh, the mask kind of slips, and there are times when I didn't quite believe in him, uh, and also the. We Shall Fight Them on the beaches. Speech that is delivered in Parliament did not go down well, um, was not broadcast live, as it is shown to be in this film. Uh, Churchill recorded it later on for posterity. So uh, there are numerous problems with this film. I think that if it was a better movie, I might not have a problem with those things. But because because I think that it is a little bit lacking, I, I do have a problem with them. Um, that's not to say that there's not stuff to like, as I've said, you know, numerous times now, I think that Alban's performance is good. I don't, I'm not sure that it's Oscar worthy. Maybe it is because it's Churchill and maybe it is because he's, you know, got the prosthetics and he's got a, sort of delivering a performance through the prosthetics, which is impressive. Um, I just don't think it's all that impressive. I may be out of step here though. So on, um, Rotten Tomatoes, it has a rating of 85%. And it says it's held together by Gary Oldman's electrifying performance, which brings Winston Churchill to life even when the movie's narrative falters. I'm not sure that it is electrifying. I think it's good. I just don't think it's great. And certainly I think there were, there were better performances to be rewarded at the Academy Awards. And this is rated PG. And it's OK. Yeah, it's OK. Right, Ian just popped in to say he agreed with me about Darkest Hour good. We gave him a thumbs up. Um, he also didn't like, he also doesn't like Ellie Gording. Oh, come on, it's not that bad. Really. You're all just so cynical. Um, okay, so uh, final movie this week is a Roman J. Israel Esquire. It's a 2017 American legal drama film written and directed by Dan Gilroy. And the film stars Denzel Washington, Colin Farrell, again, and Carmen Ajogo. And the plot centres around the life of an idealistic defence lawyer, played by Washington, who finds himself in a tumultuous series of events that lead to a personal crisis and a a necessity for extreme action. So this is written and directed by Dan Gilroy. Uh, The movie that he made before this one was Nightcrawler with um, Jake Gyllenhaal, among others, that I really really enjoyed uh, i thought it was an amazing piece of work there is a good robot and his podcast all about that um uh, this uh, came out when did this come out uh it showed at the toronto international film festival last september i'm not sure when it came out in this country i'm, I'm thinking it was this year uh, but I'm, but i'm not 100 sure uh it was up for a few academy awards i think um Denzel Washington was up for Best Actor, but didn't win. Obviously, um, so we're in we're, we're once again in the in the the realms of um, you know man who is driven, who has questionable social skills. That's played by Denzel Washington. He's a lawyer and an activist working for a small law firm in Los Angeles, and uh, in his in his two partner office, he is responsible for preparing memos and briefs. While William Jackson, the firm's owner and a well-respected professor, focuses on the courtroom appearances that Israel struggles with. And he's spent years developing a brief that he believes will change uh, the justice system. In the meantime, sacrificing a family and a normal life to fight for justice. And while he is short on interpersonal skills, he is gifted with a phenomenal memory, as well as strong personal convictions on the meaning of justice. So the so the um the main guy at the law firm at the beginning of the movie, off camera, in fact I don't think we ever see him, he suffers a heart attack and Israel is forced against his will into the spotlight. He because there's no one else to do this, he has to go to court and um talk to the judge and uh do plea bargaining. Stuff that he is ill suited for, it has to be said. Um, however, he uh, draws the attention of Colin Farrells, um, who is a senior partner in a law firm, who's been, who has worked with uh, this other company, this other uh, small lawyer firm before, and uh, offers Israel a job, um, to which he accepts because he basically has no money. And it's there that things start to go wrong. Uh, and it's difficult for me to talk about the way that they start to go wrong. But you can imagine in the way that, uh, you know, Peter Sellers, in being there, has spent his entire life doing one thing. And when he's taken out of that to do something else, he's completely all at sea. And uh, just, well, I suppose he's very innocent and he goes about his his uh, business in a very innocent way. Maybe that's not a great analogy, actually. But anyway, Israel is ill-suited to be working in such an an aggressive environment, a patriarchal aggressive environment as this big law firm. But despite that, he manages to bring his principles to bear and he actually draws the interest of Colin Farrell's character in terms of uh, maybe he's forgotten about his principles and Israel has reminded him that actually not all of the work they have to do has to be massively high profile and high paying and they start to take on free work or pro bono work which is you know working for nothing in order to be a defense lawyer um, and that's not something they've ever done before Israel is heading up that um, that department so you know things seem to be going well for him but there's something happens that causes everything to go wrong and I can't really talk about that but I think I'll leave the synopsis and the and the plotty stuff there, and talk about the performances. So, you know, Denzel Washington is a terrific actor. I, you know, I'm, I'd be hard pressed to think of anything. You know, I've seen him in some terrible movies like The Equalizer, um, and and other stuff. But I think here, uh, I think this movie is pretty good. I think he's very very good in it. So you know, we have a marked difference here from Darkest Hour which is a pretty good film with, I think, what is a good performance from Gary Oldman. I think in Roman J. Israel Esquire we have a film that is pretty good with a really good performance from Denzel Washington. The problem with that is is that the film, you know, as, as I talked about the box office, it kind of disappeared without a trace. Not enough people saw it and not enough people saw Denzel Washington and others like Colin Farrell and Carmen Ojogo putting in really, really good performances in this film. You know, it's well-written, um it's well acted the problem with it is is you know this is a this is a phrase that comes up a lot on this show it becomes unfocused and um kind of meanders a bit all over the place and that's a problem because it you know you lose it draws your attention away from the main plot which is which is all about israel and all about his you know what he's trying to do with his life trying to trying to stay true to his principles whilst basically working in the lion's den, which is where he is. Um, And that kind of gets diluted and unfocused by another plot line that I won't talk about. It's a real shame because I think without that distraction, this would have been, uh, I think, a really, really good film. You know, I'd say that it would have been as good as Nightcrawler in terms of, you know, Dan Gilroy once again delivering a driven man... Um, you know, who's sort of focused on one thing, trying to get what he wants in life. Although this is a very different story. Uh, However, it does have a kind of a happy ending in amongst all of the doom and gloom. You know, it does have a happy ending, and that's good, because it needs one. Um, On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 51% rating, and it says, Intriguing yet heavy-handed it makes the most of, but never quite lives up to, Denzel Washington's magnetic performance in the title role. Yeah, it's true. Um, I wouldn't have said it's heavy-handed. I think that the messages in here need to be got across about social justice and you know, the need for reform of, of criminal justice system. That's something that's talked about a lot in this film. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, don't, I think a bit of heavy-handedness is fine and it's rated 12. I'm going to, um I'm going to go straight on to talk about the good robot Andy. So uh, there's a new podcast which is all about uh the killing of a sacred deer. So a film that I talked about first on this show uh we recorded this week and we go into very spoilery detail about the film. So if you've seen it or if you don't care about spoilers, it's available now. Search for the good robot Andy's in your podcasting app of choice or on the internet, and you'll find us. And we need your help because during this week's podcast, because, you know, um, Killing of a Sacred Deer is essentially a, a supernatural horror film, we started talking about um, horror movies and, you know, things that we like. And we've decided that on the next podcast, which will not be this Monday coming, but the Monday after, we are going to talk about the 10 possibly more than 10, uh, depending on how many many we want to talk about. Best horror movies of the 20th century. So that's important, 20th century. We've got a cut-off point there. Otherwise, we'd have a very long list indeed. So we need your help, because I'm pretty sure there's some stuff I've missed, or maybe there's some stuff that I haven't seen. Uh, what we want you to do is to get in touch with us uh, so you can get in touch with me via Facebook, if you're on Facebook. Also on Twitter, at Cockers underscore 97. It's very important. I'll say that again. At Cockers underscore 97. That's my Twitter handle. Um, I think you need to follow me in order to direct message me, although you could just message me on Twitter. Um, and tell me um, what your favourite horror movies, or maybe it's just one, of the 20th century are. Uh, we will then talk about it. I mean, it may be one that we've already picked, but we'll give you a shout out on the podcast and say, hey, um, Dave from Glastonbury said that he really likes the thing and this is why he likes it. Um, I'm not going to say whether that's on the top 10 or not. I mean, it probably is, but anyway, uh, so we need your help. So please get in touch and we will give you a shout out. Anyway, uh, moving back to this show, uh, here's some DVD picks. These are things that are available now or will be available from next Monday. And first up, we've got Fifty Shades Freed. Yes, I'm not recommending it. It's just available if you want to buy it. Uh, Then Phantom Thread is available. So um, that's Paul Thomas Anderson's latest with Daniel Day-Lewis. That uh, is something I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. I really like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I really like Daniel Day-Lewis. Together, they seem to make fantastic movies. So... um, and finally, a movie called Let the Sunshine In with uh, Juliette Binoche and uh, Gérard Depardieu, which uh, promises to be the most French movie ever. But that had very good reviews and uh, looking forward to that. So that, those are the DVD and Blu-ray, Blu-ray picks. Blimey, it's almost the show. Uh, anything else to talk about? What am I looking forward to watching this weekend? I'm probably going to watch Phantom Thread this weekend. Unless something better comes along. that is almost the show. Thank you very much for listening. Ten seconds. Ian's... Yeah, yeah, there you go. This is slick. Slick as anything. Thank you very much for listening. It's time to hand over to Ian. Thank you for downloading and listening to this podcast from GFM 107.1. Don't forget that you can follow me on Twitter at Cockers underscore 97 and on my Facebook page, which is Andy's Movie Mashup.